0: Hello, and welcome to Behind the Horror. Scary movie fans such as myself will hear that a movie is based on a true story. A few of them we know, but most, well, we never go on to find out just what that true story is. So in this series, we will explore and find out exactly what the true story is behind the movies we love. The 2007 movie, The Girl Next Door, is set back in the 1950s, and it's about a boy meeting his first real crush, as well as her disabled sister. The girls have lost their parents in a car accident, and due to this, they are sent to live with their aunt and her sons. Now, the boy knows that Ruth, the aunt, allows her sons to drink and smoke and have a bunch of friends over, all while she is starving Meg, the boy's crush. Meg is told that she's a whore, and Ruth's sons, quote, tickle Meg sexually. They also humiliate her sister, Susan. Let's just say it's not a good situation. So, Meg decides to take action, and she approaches a policeman, telling the officer about what's going on in Ruth's home. Once Ruth finds out, she and her sons tie Meg up in the basement, where she is stripped naked. She is blindfolded, gagged, and then left. Then the girl suffers unimaginable things, horrific things. So, I'll stop here for those who haven't seen the movie. Go watch it. Enjoy it. This movie is based on the 1989 novel, The Girl Next Door, written by Jack Ketchum, and is based on a true story about a girl named Sylvia Lykins. Now, I absolutely have to place a disclaimer here. This story is hardcore, it is not going to be easy to stomach. It wasn't easy to research and the details are horrific. So this one's gonna be rough, I just wanted to warn you. But before we start with Sylvia, we have to go back a bit further to the backstory of one Gertrude Banaszewski. Gertrude Van Fossen was born in 1929, the middle of six children, and lived in Indianapolis, Indiana. She was very close with her father, but not so much her mother. It is said that her mother was cold, distant, and demanding. Then, when Gertrude was 11 years old, she witnessed her father have a massive heart attack and die right in front of her. At the age of 16, she dropped out of high school and married 18-year-old deputy John Banaszewski. I'm probably butchering that last name. I apologize if I am. But as it turns out, John was mean and he had a violent temper. He physically abused Gertrude at the slightest offense. But she stayed with him and they went on to have four children together. Then after 10 years of marriage, she divorced him and she took the kids. She quickly remarried another man, but he divorced her after only three months because he could not stand her children. You'll understand why soon. So she did what some women do, she went back to her ex-husband and they got remarried. They went on to have two more children and this marriage lasted an additional seven years until they divorced again. The now 37-year-old Gertrude met 23-year-old Dennis Lee Wright. It didn't take long before she and her children moved in with him. Dennis abused her just as John always had but they had one child together. Side note Gertrude had also suffered a total of six miscarriages throughout her life all due to the abuse she suffered from the hands of these men. So, not too long after she had her last baby, Dennis took off and abandoned her with nothing. At this point, it was the 1960s, and Gertrude had to find a way to support herself and her seven children. Now, she did this by doing other people's laundry and babysitting, and on occasion, she would receive a small sum of money, though unpredictable as to when she would get it in the form of child support from John. However, that money stopped when John found out that his and her 17-year-old daughter Paula had become pregnant by a married, middle-aged man. It was also around this time when Gertrude began to get ill, Uh, she had asthma. She nearly stopped eating, and malnutrition affected her to the point that her hair began to fall out right at the front of her hairline. Her eyes were deeply sunken in. I mean, she looked terrible. She even stopped bathing properly. She was a heavy smoker, and she battled severe depression. She would refer to herself as Mrs. Wright in an attempt to make it appear that she and Dennis had indeed got married, which, of course, they hadn't, and she would come off as more respectable. In the summer of 1965, a desperate father, whose wife had just been arrested and jailed for shoplifting, arranged for two of his daughters to board with Gertrude since she did babysitting and her children knew his daughters from their high school. One of those children was Sylvia Likens. Sylvia Marie Lykins, born in January 1949, was the middle child out of five. Her parents were Lester and Betty Lykins, and they were both carnival workers. Her two older siblings were fraternal twins, a boy and a girl, and her two younger siblings were also fraternal twins, boy and girl. One of the younger twins, Jenny, had polio and had to wear a leg brace to help her walk. Sylvia's parents' marriage was rocky, to say the least. Due to working for the carnival, they moved around Indiana frequently, selling candy, soda, and beer in a stand, and money was always really tight. The parents didn't want Sylvia and Jenny to travel with them for their own safety and well-being, so they were usually sent to their grandmother's or some other relative's house to stay while the rest of the family worked. As Sylvia became a young teen, she babysitted to earn extra money for her family. She also offered laundry services and you know, running errands to earn her own spending money. People described her as having a happy and boisterous personality. A natural confidence that made people smile. She had gorgeous, medium-long, light brown wavy hair. Her nickname was Cookie. She loved the Beatles and the music of the times and was fiercely protective of Jenny who was the opposite of Sylvia. Jenny was more shy and reserved and a little insecure so after sylvia's mother was jailed for stealing her father put her and jenny into the capable hands of gertrude who assured him that they would be very well taken care of that she would treat them as her own he agreed to pay her 20 dollars a week for their care but he didn't actually see the whole home had he done so he would have seen that the place was filthy and had no working stove There wasn't enough food for two people, let alone now 10, but 16-year-old Sylvia and 15-year-old Jenny moved into the house, thinking they would only be there about five months. For the first few weeks, everything was fine. Sylvia and one of Gertrude's daughters listened to music and sang along together happily, She also helped with chores around the house, and both girls went to church with the family. But, as fate would have it, the boarding payment began to arrive late. Now, not terribly so, sometimes just by a couple of days. But this infuriated Gertrude, and she would take to venting her anger at Sylvia and Jenny. One of her methods in the beginning was to beat the girls with different weapons, her favorite being a very thick paddle while yelling at them, quote, Well, I took care of you two little bitches for a week for nothing, unquote. One beating was so intense that each girl was hit on their bare backs 15 times with that same paddle because Gertrude thought the sisters had eaten too much at the local church supper. Another time, Sylvia and Jenny decided to go through some neighborhood garbage. It was just an innocent thing, looking for old soda bottles so that they could turn them in for money. With that money, they went and treated themselves to just a little bit of candy. When they got back to the house, Gertrude accused them of stealing, though Sylvia explained how they had paid for the candy. Gertrude exclaimed that she was a liar before she beat her with that same paddle. A couple of times in the very beginning, the sisters' parents actually visited, but were only allowed in the living room, and Gertrude made sure the girls would stay silent. And any bruising was covered with clothing. Neither girl said anything about the abuse to their parents. And after they were gone, Gertrude would tell the girls, quote, Well, what are you going to do now, now that they're gone? Unquote. Another time, some of Gertrude's children came home after a church social, and they told their mother that Sylvia had eaten a whole lot of food, And people had noticed. Gertrude barked at Sylvia about how horrible it was to overeat like that and ruin her figure. And then immediately forced her to eat this big uncooked hot dog that was piled with a bunch of condiments. And this of course made Sylvia sick and she threw up. Then Gertrude forced Sylvia to eat that. At this point, only a little over a month had gone by since the girls moved into that house. Gertrude began to pay less attention to Jenny and more on Sylvia. Most experts think that the woman was initially reacting out of jealousy of Sylvia's obvious beauty and youth. Others say she was just severely mentally ill, but regardless, she would not allow the teen to eat An adequate amount of food leaving Sylvia so hungry that she was forced to eat old rotting food out of trash cans on her way and then back home from school and then it began to escalate from there Gertrude's kids began to get into the abuse two of her daughters accused Sylvia of spreading rumors at their school that they were prostitutes and it got so heated that one of the girls' boyfriends actually attacked Sylvia while they all just stood there and watched and laughed. That same daughter beat Sylvia in the face so intensely that she broke her own wrist. Gertrude herself, after listening in on a conversation where Sylvia was talking about how a boy had once touched one of her breasts, she went into a rage saying Sylvia was a whore and telling everyone else in the house that Sylvia was now pregnant, even though she wasn't. She then proceeded to kick Sylvia in her genitals over and over. And when the attack was over, Sylvia tried to, you know, sit in a chair, give herself a moment to compose. But one of the daughters shoved her out of it saying, quote, you ain't fit to sit in chairs unquote from that moment on sylvia was only allowed to sit in a chair when given strict permission to do so also at this point gertrude encouraged her own kids to beat and abuse sylvia or shove her down flights of stairs now remember the boyfriend that attacked sylvia based on a rumor he was told to stop by any time so that he could practice his martial arts on her. He used her as a martial arts dummy. He also lacerated her and burned her with cigarettes over 100 times. And then Gertrude's kids also encouraged other kids from school to come over and attack this poor girl, usually after creating some elaborate lie to upset the visitor. They were even able to talk Sylvia's little sister Jenny into punching her because you know if she didn't, she would get beat. Now, as later summer turned into early fall, the empty house next door to Gertrude's was bought by a middle-aged couple named Phyllis and Raymond. Phyllis saw that Gertrude had a lot of kids at her house and thought perhaps she would be a great babysitter for her own two children. So, Phyllis and Raymond had a barbecue and invited the neighbors over to let the two families get to know each other. But it didn't take long for Phyllis to notice Sylvia had a rather disturbing black eye. She seemed to be wandering around, kind of zombie-like. And one of the teens proudly stated that she had given Sylvia that black eye, then proceeded to walk over to Sylvia with a cup full of hot steaming water and threw it in her face. And for whatever reason, the couple did not report this incident. A couple of months later Phyllis went to Gertrude's house to ask to borrow some item only to watch as Sylvia already sporting a completely swollen black eye and hugely swollen lips get beaten with a belt by one of the other teenagers and again this was not reported. Sylvia and Jenny were both too terrified themselves to tell anyone what was going on for fear of the abuse escalating. The abuse was so intense and Sylvia so obviously battered Gertrude no longer sent the girl to school because Sylvia had been caught stealing an article of clothing from a gym locker as well after her caretaker had refused to buy her any clothing. Now, as schools do, they noticed that Sylvia had missed some days, and an anonymous phone call was received at the high school to make a report that a girl lived in a house and she had open wounds all over her body. The school nurse visited the residence to research this claim, but Gertrude told the nurse that Sylvia had run away a week ago with a bunch of boys and had no clue as to where she had gone. The school didn't investigate any further, so the punishment for this was to be beaten with a large leather belt, then again proceeded to stomp and kick Sylvia in her genital area. Then, to cure her of her, quote, sticky fingers, she took matches and burned the ends of her fingertips before beating her again with that belt. Then a few days after that assault, Gertrude whipped Jenny with that same belt because she quote, needed a stronger shoe for her crippled foot. Gertrude's nearly grown kids, who were also smokers, started arbitrarily putting their cigarettes out on Sylvia's body to remind her not to steal. At one point, Gertrude ordered Sylvia to strip completely naked in the living room and insert an empty soda bottle in there. All of the other teens were there to watch, and Gertrude then told Sylvia to, quote, prove to Jenny what kind of girl you are, unquote. After this incident, Sylvia could no longer control her bladder because of this, she was deemed unfit to live amongst other humans and was locked in the basement. Now, this basement was nearly bare and very dirty. There was, of course, no bathroom, so Sylvia was forced to relieve herself on the floor. Gertrude, of course, using this opportunity to humiliate and torture the girl even more, would point out the human waste calling her a dirty girl and forced her to go upstairs where she then tied her up then dunked her body into the bathtub with scalding hot water in it. Then after Gertrude's eldest daughter Paula would rub salt all over Sylvia's burns and this was a nearly everyday occurrence. At some point Gertrude recruited a neighborhood boy by the name of Ricky to help her deal with Sylvia. Now Ricky was actually an honor student from a good family who had never been in any trouble but without question he completely gave in to Gertrude's orders to abuse Sylvia. And as if it could not get any worse And as impossible as it is to believe, Gertrude's teenage kids started charging a nickel apiece to look down the stairs of the basement and upon Sylvia's naked, battered, and malnourished body. She was also forced to ingest her own waste off of the floor. So to recap, the girls went to live with Gertrude in July. We are now up to October. Sylvia and Jenny's older sister, Diana, found out that her sisters were at that residence, so she visited, which of course was denied by Gertrude. Diana said that her parents had given her permission to check on the girls, and Gertrude ordered her off the property. But by chance, two weeks later, Diana happened to run into Jenny out on the street, the girls were so happy to see each other, but when Diana asked about Sylvia, Jenny's response was, quote, I can't tell you or I'll get into trouble, unquote. Meanwhile, Gertrude was down in the basement holding a knife out at Sylvia, daring her to come at her. She then made a superficial cut on her leg. Sylvia, naked, was then ordered upstairs, and Gertrude made this broad statement to the whole household saying, quote, You have branded my daughters, now I'm going to brand you. Unquote. She then carved into Sylvia's abdomen the words, quote, I'm a prostitute and proud of it, unquote, using a heated needle. Now, if you want to Google um, Sylvia Likens' crime scene photos or something like that, you can see that really did happen. So Gertrude couldn't finish the branding herself for whatever reason, so one of the neighborhood kids volunteered to finish it. Now, if Sylvia screamed, they simply stuffed a sock or a washcloth into her mouth. Then the kids took her back down to the basement, where they branded what looked like the number three, just below her left breast. Gertrude said to her, quote, Sylvia, what are you going to do now? You can't get married now. What are you going to do? Unquote. And sobbing, Sylvia agreed that there really was nothing she could do. That night, Sylvia told her little sister, quote, Jenny, I know you don't want me to die, but I'm going to die. I can tell it. Unquote. The next morning, Sylvia was forced to write a letter to her parents saying that she had run away from that house. This was part of a ploy for Gertrude to frame some local neighborhood boys for what was inevitable. Sylvia was then tied to a stair railing and offered some crackers to which she stated she didn't want them and to give them to the dog. So Gertrude shoved them in her mouth and repeatedly kicked her in the stomach. Now toward the end of October, Sylvia did try to escape her prison. She had overheard Gertrude telling the others that they were going to take Sylvia out to the woods and leave her there to die. As she tried desperately to run for the front door, she was so weak that Gertrude easily caught her. She was malnourished. She was dehydrated, injured. She was dying. Sylvia then tried to get anyone's attention that might be outside by screaming for help as loud as her weak little lungs could scream and beating on the walls of the basement with a shovel. And actually, a neighbor did hear the noise, but said it stopped at roughly 3 a.m. So she decided, you know, it was all fine and she did not call the police. The next morning, Sylvia was becoming unresponsive. She could not speak properly, instead, mumbling and moaning. She didn't have the strength to properly move her arms or her legs. Gertrude moved Sylvia up to the kitchen, where she tried to feed her a donut with a glass of milk, but Sylvia didn't even have the strength to swallow, so Gertrude flung her to the floor and ordered one of the other kids to just take her back down to the basement. At this point, Sylvia was delirious. Paula, Gertrude's eldest and most abusive daughter, asked the girl to recite the alphabet, but she was unable to that same afternoon the family all went to the basement and Sylvia wild-eyed began desperately pointing at her abusers someone gave her a pear, but she couldn't bite into it because she was missing teeth and the teeth she did have left were too loose Now one of the sons decided to use a garden hose with cold water to spray Sylvia off in an attempt to clean her own bowel movement off of her. Then Paula stomped on her head a couple of times. Then one of the nicer kids decided to try to give her like a nice warm bath. Only she stopped breathing. Sylvia was given mouth-to-mouth resuscitation to try to revive her, with Gertrude screaming that she was just faking it, but it was of no use. Sylvia was gone. Finally, Gertrude told one of the people in the house to call the police from a payphone outside, and they did arrive soon after. Gertrude took the police officer's right to Sylvia, who was obviously emaciated, beaten, tortured beyond comprehension and lying on a mattress on the floor in one of the bedrooms gertrude gave them the letter she had forced sylvia to write and stated the girl had just shown back up to the house and she was just trying to nurse her back to health when she died jenny was able to whisper to the police officers quote you get me out of here and i'll tell you everything unquote And thankfully, after Jenny's official statement, most of the family, as well as a few of the kids from the neighborhood, were arrested. Gertrude said that she had absolutely nothing to do with the abuse and torture of Sylvia. She only admitted to making her sleep in the basement because she kept wetting the bed. She did, however point the finger at her children, stating they were the ones that abused Sylvia. So, folks, here's where I'm going to go over the autopsy report. This will be so very difficult to hear. It made me nearly nauseous just to read it. So, you know, disclaimer, disclaimer. Sylvia had suffered more than 150 separate wounds all over her body. She was extremely emaciated, meaning starved, at the time of her death. The wounds varied in location, nature, severity, and stage of healing, meaning the abuse had been over a long period of time. The injuries consisted of burns, severe bruising, extreme muscle and nerve damage. Her vaginal cavity was swollen shut. She was determined to not be pregnant. Her fingernails were all broken backwards, and the skin on her face, breasts, neck, and knees had either peeled or receded. And while she was in the moment of death, she had bit through her lips, partially severing sections from her face. The official cause of death was subdural hematoma due to a severe blow to her right temple. Contributory factors were severe malnutrition, prolonged damage inflicted upon her body, and shock. Gertrude and many of her children were sentenced to prison for first-degree murder. Gertrude went to prison in 1966 and was then paroled in 1985, much to the anger of the community who tried everything they knew to stop it. She then moved to Iowa, she changed her name and died in 1990 from lung cancer. Paula, Gertrude's eldest daughter, was paroled in 1972 where she also changed her name Got a job as a school counselor for 14 years, but was ultimately fired when her true identity was found out. She was the one that was pregnant. That baby was given up for adoption. She now lives in a small town in Iowa. She is married and has children of her own. So I don't really even have adequate words to sum up this story. I am horrified. I actually hadn't heard about this story. So please, people, if you see anything that looks super suspicious, report it. And I want to give a big lovey shout out to Anika6990 for suggesting the new name, followers G underscore Theox underscore man, Harkasendu, probably butchering that, and Becca Forrest for suggesting names as well. And my beloved murder family for voting for it. Thanks so much for your help. And thank you to everyone for listening. Have a great day. Music by Kevin MacLeod on Incompotech.com.